Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. which is new every Thursday and always free Apple podcast. And of course, podcast one appreciate you guys downloading, streaming, listening all around the world, wherever, however, whenever you do it, it is greatly appreciated and welcome to everybody. As we settle in for another great interview, which as always comes to you courtesy of my daily show on Sirius XM one Oh six volume. The show is called Trunk Nation. It's heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Replays every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. And on demand anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. That is where the interviews you hear on this podcast originate from. If you're in the U.S. and Canada, you don't already listen on SiriusXM, well, by all means, please join us. You just get a little taste here on the podcast of what we are doing on a daily basis live on volume which includes many of your calls and a lot of interaction as well. So here we are already, like at the end of June. Time is just flying by here, and before you know it, we'll be talking about the fall, and at least I can start talking about football season, which I always greatly look forward to. Even though as a Giants fan, I have no idea what to expect this year. <laughs> not a lot of not a lot of optimism, but watch, that'll be the year they end up you know, being decent. So we'll see. At the time you're hearing this podcast, I am making my way from L.A. to Vegas, which I am uh, always excited about and always look forward to going to. It's been a little while since I've been there. This trip is a combination of work and downtime. Going to be on vacation next week. Don't worry, you'll still get an all-new podcast on Thursday, but from my daily radio stuff, taking a break. And going to spend part of Fourth of July week in Vegas um, finishing up shooting my Access TV series, Trunk Fest, which it's very important that I mention, and I would greatly appreciate you guys 
watching my brand new series on Access TV, season number two, which is going to be premiering on July 7th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 Pacific on Access TV. Trunk Fest is the name of the show, covering music festivals. i got a bunch of great festivals and music events that I cover in this second season. If you watch season one, you know what the show is all about. Thank you. And if you haven't watched it yet, jump on board with season two. Again, premiering July 7th and every Sunday night, 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific, 8.30 Central, 7.30 Mountain. <laughs> Do all the conversions, set the DVRs, and please watch Trunk Fest on Sunday nights on Access TV. That comes up as AXS TV on your grids. And uh, it's also on Sling for those that do the cord-cutting stuff. Appreciate your support on the TV side as well. So I'm in Vegas because, uh, or I'm headed to Vegas because I'm finishing off that TV series, but I'm also going to have a couple days off, catch up with some friends, and very much looking forward to finally seeing the Aerosmith residency in Vegas while I'm there, which I'll report on, of course, on the radio shows and here on the podcast uh, the next time I, I do one after I get to come back from Vegas. So that's what's going on. Of course, this week we have a great interview for you. That's coming up in a couple seconds. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about my beloved cats. Yes, I love my cats. I am very much a cat person. Believe it or not, I've never had a dog in my life. Always wanted one. Never had any pets growing up. Until I got cats, and uh, I had three until, sadly, recently, one of them passed away. So I have two boys now and had a my first cat a while ago and, you know, just, just love cats, love all their uh, different mannerisms and very, very different personalities. And they truly are amazing, amazing pets. But one of the things that... Uh, most people don't like about cats is cleaning up the litter box now don't get me wrong cats are great in that you don't have to take them out you don't have to walk them like a dog it's pretty easy obviously but still the litter boxes can get messy a lot of cloud stuff coming out a lot of dust a lot of dander just always a pain in the neck quite frankly to deal with the litter box the one downside of having these amazing pets but arm and hammer have created the new cloud control litter. There's no cloud of nastiness when you scoop. It is 100% dust-free and free of heavy perfumes, and it helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box, and that's exactly what you want. New cloud control litter by Arm and Hammer. More power to you. If you have cats, you got to check it out. So this week on the podcast, my guest is the leader of a band called Blackberry Smoke, Charlie Starr. I first heard about Blackberry Smoke when we were doing that metal show. Blackberry Smoke is not a metal band by any stretch. They are more a country southern rock band. But it was actually one of my That Metal Show partners, Jim Florentine, who is a fan of that sort of stuff and started wearing the shirts and telling me a little bit about them. 
and I'm always up for discovering and checking out something new. And I had a chance to to listen to them, and then I had a chance to see them live. And speaking of Trunkfest, in season one, if you saw the episode I did from the Zach Brown Band event, I interviewed Blackberry Smoke at that show, which was in uh, in Mexico, and got to know them a little bit. And then my friend Keith Nelson, who is the co-founding member of Buck Cherry, who is no longer in the band, Keith wrote some songs with Blackberry Smoke's leader, Charlie Starr, on their latest record. And Keith was telling me what a great experience it was and how much he loves the band. He even jammed with them on a TV show recently. So over time, I started to get it and see, have a chance to see and meet the guys. And then at Rocklahoma this year, and this is interesting, which is a heavy rock festival, one night Blackberry Smoke headlined the second stage. And at that show, I got to see Charlie again, and we talked for a little bit. The other sort of hard rock tie-in with Blackberry Smoke is that their demos and early recordings were originally produced by Jesse James Dupree of Jackal. Blackberry Smoke is an interesting band in that they touch on a lot of different genres at their core, they're a southern hard, a southern rock slash country band, but they appeal to hard rock fans, and they really do like all that sort of music. And clearly, they can get over because they played Rocklahoma and headlined a stage in front of the hard rock crowd. The other really interesting thing about Blackberry Smoke is that they are very much a do-it-yourself sort of band, which I really respect. I mean, they do... So much of the, they built this thing, which has really become a really impressive band and operation and a great following. And they do a lot of it themselves. As you're about to hear in the interview, they've gotten this far and they've yet to ever even be offered a record deal, which is really admirable and a great thing to take into consideration if you are a young band and you're looking for some inspiration that you can really do it. On your own, if, of course, and this is a huge if, you truly have talent and the songs, which Blackberry Smoke have. And a lot of that is driven by their singer-guitarist, Charlie Starr, who tonight's or today's interview on the podcast, this week's interview, is with. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a few minutes talking. Well, more than a few minutes. We've got a good 40 minutes or so with Charlie coming up. Uh, hearing the story of Blackberry Smoke, if you're not familiar with them, how they touch on and connect with so many different genres of rock music fans, and what they have coming up in the future. Really uh, interesting conversation. I hope even if you don't are not aware of the band, you take the time to listen to it, because it really is, like I said, uh, in this day and age where everybody's fighting for some attention in the world of uh, rock music, it's really very cool to see what this man has been able to accomplish. So Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke coming up on the Eddie Trunk podcast. But before we get to Charlie, I want to tell you about Pluto TV. 
because this is pretty amazing. Pluto is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? You never pay for TV again. All you do is download Pluto TV. And you can download Pluto TV for free at all your favorite, uh, I should say, on on all your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Check it out. Pretty amazing. Pluto TV. All right, let's get a break. We'll come back, and we will be joined this week by Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, folks, check out the new true crime podcast on Podcast One. It's called 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. It's about a murder that took place in Washington, D.C. A family and their housekeeper were held hostage for 22 hours before being killed when the murderer set their mansion on fire. You'll be shocked by what they went through during those 22 hours, and you won't believe how they found the guy. I won't ruin the ending, but all I'll say is pizza crust. Pretty incredible. Keep an eye out for a special sneak peek extra episode this week. And if you can't wait, download 22 Hours in American Nightmare now on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. New episodes every Monday. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thank you for listening. So as I set up, our guest this week is Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke. Remember, all of the interviews you hear come from my SiriusXM show on Volume Channel 106. Hope you listen to me each and every weekday live, 2 to 4 Eastern, as I talk rock with you on Trunk Nation or the replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern or on demand on the SiriusXM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, please come on board and join us. You will not be disappointed with our Fun that we have talking rock with you each and every day. So, as I was saying, Charlie Starr, I gave you the backstory, how I discovered them, how I've gotten to see uh, Blackberry Smoke over uh, the most recent uh, year or two, did a TV interview with them, had a chance to have Charlie call into my show. This just happened maybe a couple weeks ago, so it's a relatively fresh interview. I think you will absolutely enjoy it. And with that, I give you now from Blackberry Smoke, their lead singer and guitarist, Charlie Starr. Enjoy. Charlie, how are you, buddy? How you doing, Eddie? I'm good, man. It was good to see you over the weekend. And uh, didn't get to talk to you after your set, but I was standing over on the side with Jesse James Dupree watching you. And I'll tell you what, man, the band sounded incredible. Oh, thanks, man. That was a good time. Um, uh, we dodged tornadoes, uh, I'm told, which is always good. Yeah, no. Well, out there, it's it can be really dicey, and it's amazing that that whole festival went off without a hitch. Nobody 
nobody missed any time at all. And I've hosted that every year, and that's not always been the case. So we certainly feel for the folks in that area of the country who are dealing with some brutal storms right now. But it's it's good to know that we got out of there unscathed and the audience got to see rock and roll all weekend without any any uh, disruptions. Yeah, absolutely. That that was the first time that I've seen Jackal in maybe maybe eight years. And, uh, well, they've not missed a step. <laughs> well, I told Jesse I want part of his guarantee because he had me out there working with him more than he had the other three guys in the band. He had me bashing the bar stool and drinking the bourbon. And I'm like, you can put me to work, man. You better give me a cut of your guarantee. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, speaking of that, Charlie, before we get into it, and it's probably a good place to start because you said you watched Jackal, and I know Jesse was watching you, and I know that that Jesse James Dupree had a role in the early days of Blackberry Smoke, which some people may find surprising. Talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when we first got together as Blackberry Smoke, myself, and it was actually just myself and the bass player and drummer, uh, Britt and Richard Turner, who are our brothers from Atlanta. And we were going to, um, well, we recorded a few demos. And uh, I don't know exactly how Jesse came across one of them, but he showed up uh, at a gig, at a tiny gig we did, at a little place called the Star Bar in Atlanta, Georgia, which holds probably 25 people. And there were probably two people there, and he was one of them. And uh, he came over and said, uh, hey, man, I really love this one song. Uh, on this demo and I want you to come to my studio and record an album and uh, we were uh, didn't have any other plans and um, we went over and during that period of time he was building his studio in his in his garage you know at at his place uh, there in north of Atlanta and uh, so he said hey while you're at it come out and open for Jackal for a month and uh, we, I mean, we had day jobs and, and, you know, new children and, and, um, unhappy ex soon to be ex-wives and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we were like, okay. So we bought a van and, uh, we really, that was trial by fire for us to go out and, and see how a working band does it. Cause none of us had ever toured before. You know, this was in 2000, uh, 2000 or 2000, early 2001, and uh, we had just been banging around Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta music scene for years in different bands that were doing nothing, you know, and and uh, to go out and see how they operated, which is, I, I would say that any band that, that decides they want to go out and, and try to tour, look at a band like that, the way that they, the way that they operate on the road. They're great to their fans and they work hard and they don't take a whole lot of days off and they, they're in it to you know, to, to win it, not to sound corny, but that's the, that's their mantra. And they, so that, that was the blueprint from the beginning. And they're, they're also, um, you know, they're, they're a very, very high energy band They you know, Jackal walks a lot of lines too, but they're, you know, they have more in line with like sort of ACDC to me, it was always sort of like ACDC meets Ted Nugent meets Black Oak, Arkansas or something there. You know, Jesse's a maniac out there and, and still is. And the band is just so raw and live, which is what I love so much about them. But Blackberry Smoke at that time, Charlie, were you guys because because you're, you're certainly, you know, and we'll get into this in a second. You you touch on a lot of different sort of genres of music and what you do. But did were you able to at that point? Did you try to sort of match that intensity that they bring live? 
No, I mean, I don't think anybody can. I mean, they do. A, <laughs> a, they do what they do is what they do, you know, and we already had sort of n- not completely figured out, but I think we had a pretty good idea of what it was that that we could do. Um, you know, each band, you know, a band, all bands have a fingerprint. And uh, we were at least beginning to touch on ours, which was different. It was um, more of a Southern thing, you know, I guess you could say. Um, and definitely not not um, able to keep up with them volume-wise. Good Lord. <laughs> they they might be one of the loudest bands I've ever seen. But, but their fans, uh, funny enough, um, even that first run, their fans really connected with what we were doing. Um, and I wasn't sure. I mean, you're never sure if that's going to happen when you're when you're a band that's opening for someone, you know. Um, but they did, and we made fans and friends um, in Wisconsin and Michigan and Minnesota on that first tour that we still have today. So um, I guess we were doing something that connected with those people. Now, right there is interesting because you start out in the earliest days and you go out with a band like Jackal. I uh, f- I first saw you, you know, it was about a year and a half ago. I interviewed you for my TV show, and it was at Zach Brown's event uh, in Mexico. Just this past weekend, I saw you headlining the second stage on one of the days of what is essentially, um, for the most part, a hard rock slash metal festival in Rocklahoma. Th- there, right under that umbrella, shows the scope of what your band is able to do and the different reach you have and the different you have a mass appeal among a wide range of rock you know whether it be rock fans hard rock fans country fans is was that by design with blackberry smoke charlie or is that just kind of how it naturally happened a little of both i mean we we all keith nelson and i had have discussed this at length before uh in talking about our favorite bands growing up led zeppelin and the stones uh, th- those are the two best examples of what I'm about to say. Both of those bands could do so many different things on a dime. They could turn on a dime and be like, okay, well, now, especially the Stones with the country, kind of the traditional country song. Well, they could, it, it, they did it with ease. And never did they go, hey, you know what? Here's a country song. It's just, hey, here's a song. You know what I mean? Or even with Zeppelin, they would if they could be really heavy and bombastic and then really pull it back and you had no warning you know it was like look at Led Zeppelin 3 they handed that to the world and uh, and people were just you know up in arms immediately like how dare they release this acoustic record <laughs> you know but they never said hey guess what we're going to do we're going to make an acoustic album or make a country album or make a they just they just, you know, they put it out there like we're just making music. And but so Zeppelin Three, but Zeppelin Three, let me jump in. Zeppelin Three also has immigrant song and out on the tiles, so there it it has that element within that record too. That's another another thing that we, I think that we've learned from from examining our favorite records over the years, whether we know it or not, is variety. Yeah. Um, and, and we're, un, unfortunately, we're not a band like ACDC or Motorhead that really just, I don't want to offend anybody here, but make the same record again and again and again. And they do it because that's their that's their signature. That's what they do. And, and there's beauty in that. But I always 
found that there was so much beauty in a record like physical physical graffiti that you never knew what the next tune was going to be like you know it was just from it was light and shade and from one extreme to another so it sounds like suffice it to say for you growing up zeppelin and the stones were the blueprint on on what influenced you and made you want to do this and pick up a guitar and write songs and and build a band was was that the those were the building blocks Those were major players, of course, but I grew up playing this traditional acoustic music, bluegrass music with my dad, and he hates rock and roll. So I I would have to go to my friend's house to hear Led Zeppelin, you know, but at the same time, that was, I, I was born in 1974 and in 1984, I got my first electric guitar. And at that time in as far as I can remember, Van Halen was the biggest band in the universe. And I was just absolutely blown away as were all my friends by Eddie Van Halen. Um, and so I think that Van Halen was just as important as, as was Zeppelin or Leonard Skinner or the Allman brothers or the stones or little feet or any of that. Um, because they were just culturally omnipresent at that time, you know, the band's first album was what year? 2001. 2001. So you started in professionally into the music business around that time you went out and Jesse did that uh, demos with you and you took you out on stage. I mean, you started out at a time in the music business where things were really starting to change. Uh, the way people got music was starting to change. The, the, the big record deals and the model of the big record deals was starting to sort of go away for most acts. It was a completely different way. The rise of social media, the way people marketed and, uh, integrated with their fans that was really becoming a thing and evolving and changing so for you jumping into the business at the time that you did and trying to start a band going like blackberry smoke that we just talked about has a lot of influences touches on a lot of genres of music sends a lot of different messages through the music you make how difficult was it i mean you 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 knew what you were in for did you embrace the changes or were you trying to walk that line between the the old model of the industry and what was coming down the pike well luckily in our case i guess you could say luckily we never had any interest from a major label never have and so we've always dealt with either uh selling it out of the trunk of our car uh or we worked with several independent labels over the years every record really was with someone else and those some of those have been disastrous like one of the one of the labels folded because the president went to prison for bribing uh government officials um oh my gosh the the record that we made uh called the whippoorwill in 2012 that was with zach brown's uh label which was based in atlanta at the time and it sort of fell apart eventually too because Zach Brown's very busy. <laughs> you know, uh, Steve Gorman from the Black Crows said, "Well, even the Beatles couldn't make a label work." You know, so I don't know. It, that's to answer your question. It's all we knew really, since we had nothing to compare it to. You know, we we couldn't say, "Man, this is not nearly as cool as when we were on Warner Brothers or or something like that." So it's been a do-it-yourself undertaking from the beginning, really. 
And who takes the reins on that? Uh, you being the front man of the band and the singer in the band, is that sort of your thing? Or, I mean, you talk about somebody like Zach Brown having uh, that that uh, resort event that he did that I was at where I, I first met you guys. I mean, and we did that interview. I mean, it's remarkable what he's built with a team around him. So is that the way you see this going? Because, look, I mean, you guys are starting to have a, a lot of success. You're, you're, you're on a lot of great tours. You've got a great audience as i said you headlined a a second main stage there this weekend at a rock festival so i would imagine some people are sort of sniffing around the hive a little bit would you like to transition to a major label would you like to have things handled a little bit more for you or do you prefer the way things are now i would say that i mean what we've done what we've been able to accomplish ourselves is 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 it makes us pretty proud you know we've we we've cultivated this fan base, uh, uh, these loyal people, you know, that follow us every year, uh, every every record. And the last two albums we've produced ourselves, and we've released them ourselves on our uh, here. Uh, dare I say, our own label. <laughs> um, and just as you said, since the since the model has changed so drastically, uh, now we we work with in Europe the, uh, a label called Earache Records, who are fantastic. Um, a lot of labels in the U.S. could probably learn a, a thing or two from from an organization like that. They work, and they started, and they started Rival Sons. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, which is amazing people. because yeah, which is incredible. What the, Rival Sons, who I love to death as well, they their new album is their first for Atlantic Records. But the U.S. head of Earache, I saw at a Rival Sons show recently, and he's still on great terms with them. And it, it's amazing what they've done because. A company like Earache, as the name would suggest, is more or less a metal company, but they love Rival Sons, and now the fact that they're they're embracing Blackberry Smoke, I mean, clearly uh, they they come at it just from a position of passion. Absolutely, I mean, those guys I've seen on social media, um, I've seen them catch a little flack from from hardcore metal fans uh, if like if they put up a picture of us or of Rival Sons. Uh, either one. I've seen those people say, "What the hell are you doing? What is this?" You know, uh, God bless them. They do. They they get behind what they believe in. So, you know, I mean, I can't complain uh, about that at all. But I don't know. I mean, I I can't say if 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 a <clears throat> if a major label ever wanted to become involved with Black Bray Smoke. At this point, I think we're too old to to be told what to do, quote unquote. You know, and. Uh, definitely, uh, if nobody's ever come and said, hey, you know what, you should re- record a song like this, and it'll be a huge hit, you know? And I, I just, who knows that anymore, which I wouldn't listen anyway, but um, that's a tough question to answer, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess you'll know if the time comes. I'm amazed that you're saying still to this point, though, uh, in this man's career, with all you've accomplished and how well things are going, to this point, there a major record label hasn't approached you wanting to sign the band? Uh, unless I missed their call. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Someone's asleep at the wheel out there, man, because that doesn't make any sense to me, especially because I'm really, and we talked about this, you and I the other day were watching uh, Blackstone Cherry play, who played just before you. 
And yeah. I saw those guys when they were literally like 16, 17 years old. And, man, they, they were just you know, on fire up there as well, killing it. And it's great to see what's the, what they've become. And then you, you talk about Rival Sons or some of these emerging bands that have been doing it a long time, really starting to make some strides and break through, your band included. So you would think with this, what I feel is sort of a movement about to happen, that there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people getting gobbled up. I mean, Rival Sons are a perfect example for years on earache, and now finally they're on Atlantic Records. So you would think that it's coming. You would think the call's coming. Whether you want to take the call or not, Charlie, is up to you. But I got to think that call's coming. Well, they uh, they know where to find us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be sure to. I know some people too because I. I tell you what. I used to be an A and R guy. If I was one still, I would. I would be. Uh, I'd be calling you for a different reason than to interview you right now. If if I, you know, people had any sense. Thank you very much. Coming back with more with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke after this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, folks, every car comes with its share of stories. A ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. The luxury package you got after a big promotion or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then you answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof. Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage. Well, you already know that uh, that's going to cost you. But now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer is not available in all areas. It was a crime no one expected and one many can't forget. They were brutalized. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. A new podcast from WTOP News and Podcast One details the heinous murders of a D.C. power couple, their 10-year-old son, and housekeeper inside their own home. The chilling messages from the victims being held hostage. Hey, Nelly, it's Baba. The complicated trail of evidence and shocking moments from the trial. She thinks she knows how Darren Wink got inside the house. His defense team drops a bombshell. Will this investigation lead to the release of confidential audio recordings from the case? So it's under general counsel review. I mean, I'm committing to making a transparent court. 22 Hours, an American Nightmare. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts today. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to more of my conversation with Charlie Starr of Blackberry Smoke on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. The, the other thing while I was watching you guys play, and Jesse James Dupree was standing next to me, he turned around to me in the middle of your set, and he said to me, that guy out there, Charlie, he goes, is one of the greatest guitar players I've ever seen in my life. And he told me a story about you and cutting a couple solos and every one was better than the next. And he raved about you as a guitar player to me. Um, talk a little bit about your 
history, uh, you know, you're a singer, you're a songwriter, but talk a little bit about your history as a guitar player, where it started for you, the influences that you had. Are you self-taught? Did you take lessons? Tell me more about, you You know, Charlie Starr as a guitarist. Well, um, uh, my dad, he, he always had a guitar. I can't remember a time where he didn't have a guitar. And uh, he played traditional bluegrass and country music and gospel music. And, and so he, I wanted to do that because you always want to do what your dad does, you know. And uh, he bought me uh, a guitar of my own, so I would stop banging around his old vintage Martin uh, when I was about six years old. And so he taught me the cowboy chords, and he was, and I was just fascinated with with playing the guitar and singing when he would do that. There was nothing better, you know, than to me then. So I I I learned that from him, and and I and I was insatiable. I wanted to learn more and more, and, and he he's like, I I don't know anything else. Um, you're on your own now. And so moving up to about 11 or 12 years old, um, I, I started, you know, my friends would turn up with guitars and they didn't know any of that stuff I knew and they didn't want to know that. They were not interested in that at all. And there was one guy in my hometown that had an electric guitar and he was very popular because of that. So all of us uh, young guys would wind up over at his house. and he, he didn't even have an amp. He would plug his guitar into his sister's stereo into the headphone jack and turn it all the way up and it would come out of the speakers. And so he also had a copy of uh, Aerosmith Rocks was one record and Van Halen's first record and 1984 had just come out too. So that was the two Van Halen records that he had. And so we all sat and just dissected that stuff and tried to figure out how to play it. And of course, Sabbath was, was, that was just, I don't even know if we were listening to Sabbath then, but he knew all the songs from Paranoid. He knew all those riffs. And so he was teaching us all that stuff. So that's where it started for me was Aerosmith and and uh, Black Sabbath and Van Halen. And then little by little, my sister was in high school. She was four years older than me. She loved Rat. That was her favorite band in the world. So she had Out of the Cellar and Invasion of Your Privacy. And uh, I, she, I thought that was great, too. And but then I started getting into blues. This is all very convoluted. Sorry, but um, I don't no, know. No, but that problem. speaks. Vo- no, but that's really fascinating because that's that in and in and of itself. If people know your band, that's the mix of you know Blackberry Smoke has all sorts of elements. That's why the appeal. I think what you're telling me kind of speaks to why the appeal of this band is so broad amongst rock fans, country fans, southern rock fans. It makes sense. Well. It- I think it was, I've always been a liner note reader and just soaking up all the information, like uh, everything about, you know, where a record was recorded and who produced it and what, you know, uh, what gear they were using. And, uh, but I got, there was a little record store in West Point, Georgia, which is right around where I grew up. And these, uh, two old men, these, uh, old guys were brothers and they had this little mom and pop record store and it was mainly blues and R and B in this neighborhood, but they also had instruments and I would go in and they would let me play a guitar. Uh, they were really, they let us hang out. They were really cool. Uh, they could have said scram kid, you know, get out of here. But I think they saw that it was pure. What we, it was purity of intention. You know, we were, we were looking to learn and myself and a couple of friends. And, and so they start saying here, this is what you need to listen to. And they would give us cassettes of Freddie King and, um, Lightning Hopkins and Mississippi Fred McDowell, and I still have a lot of that 
stuff that they gave that they gave me. But um, I wanted to know about that because of the Stones and Led Zeppelin, because they always championed that music, you know. So, and, and at this point, there was obviously no internet. I was just reading books and interviews, you know. So um, I don't know. It, it, and I look at it now, and I think, okay. And my mom really loved the Stones, so she always had either the Stones or Bob Dylan on. And then I could hear if my dad was playing Bill Monroe, and then I heard Honky Tonk Women, and my brain said, that's the same thing. It's One's just louder than the other one. It's <laughs> yeah. the same kind of vocal harmony, the same kind of chord structure, the same kind of, you know, when it comes to playing the solo, it's a little, there, there's some improvisation going on there. And, and, uh, and then the blues is behind all of that, too. So it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful Yeah, and, and you know, Talking about reading liner notes and stuff, it resonates greatly with me because people used to ask me all the time when we were doing that metal show, and really the first time I ever heard about your band was that you know Jim Florentine was a big supporter and would bring you up on the TV show and we would talk about you there and I you know he wear the shirt and stuff and I was like I don't really know those guys he's like you you should get hip to them you'd like them and he was right but but back then when I would do we were doing that show. Um, people would ask me all the time how I knew all these trivia questions and what have you, and I was the same way. It, I loved reading the liner notes. To this day, I'm a CD junkie still to this day. It's my favorite format. So to this day, the music that I, I want and love, I have to get CDs of it because not only do I love that format, but I also... First thing I do is I still go through the booklets. I read who mixed it, who mastered it. I read the thank yous. I read the writing credits. I think that's one of the things that, unfortunately, with the way the younger people get music these days, is really lost that full experience of not only hearing it, but also really learning about it and taking it in and getting a sense of you know what the artist was uh, you know who's behind it, who worked on it. I think it was invaluable. It was invaluable to me in my whole growing up into music and it's still something i call on to this day and i think really kind of in the streaming world it, it, a lot is lost on absolutely that's that's a heartbreaking reality i can't stand the 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 thought of not being able to hold that in my hand and read it and and you know skinner the first two uh leonard skinner albums which are perfect if you ask me they even listed who played what solo when you would read the liner notes and it gave a breakdown of the song and who played, who wrote it and who played what they, they even wrote, which guitar player played, which solo, which is, that's beautiful. Who else does that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And it's important. It really is. I think it's uh, I think it's a, a really important part to taking in music, whether it's CDs, whether it's vinyl, whatever your, your format of choice is, having it in some sort of uh, physical format is, I I still think really really important and I'm it's one of the reasons why I'm glad CDs have not gone away completely and that vinyl is in some ways back. I think it's a a really really needed aspect of of the whole music thing. Hey, I want I don't want to keep you too long, but a couple other things I want to ask you real quick before I let you go is um so we mentioned the new the new album Find a Light is out there now. Came out I guess about a year ago already. And you mentioned yeah. that you worked with our mutual friend on some songs, Keith Nelson, formerly of Buck Cherry, a founding member of that band, and uh, he's been out of the band for a couple of years, but still a, a great friend and a, a talented guy. Uh, how did that collaboration come about that you and Keith hooked up? Because I know you and him wrote a, a few songs on this record, including Run Away From It All, which is one of my favorite tracks you guys have, have ever done as a band. So talk a little bit about uh, working with him and collaborating with him as a writer. 
Well, he and I met, uh, first I'll, I'll tell you, um, back in the mid to late 90s uh, when Buck Cherry first came to the Southeast. And they came to Atlanta and a friend of mine booked them in a club. And he called me uh, on a landline. It was pre-cell phone days. And he said, you got to come down here on Sunday night and see this band from Los Angeles. Uh, they're incredible. And I did, and they, he was right, they were. And Keith and I met that night and have been friends ever since. So fast forward to a couple of years ago, um, we had a phone call about, we normally, uh, we, we're guitar collectors, so there's a lot of vintage guitar talk. But he called, and, and I, I knew that he, had, that, that he had left the band and that he was pretty torn out by the whole situation. You know, I'm not trying to air out his laundry here, but he said, hey, man, um, I've got some, I've got some song ideas. Do you want to, do you want to, uh, write some songs with me? And we had never approached that, that side of our friendship at all. In fact, we'd only ever played one show together, our two bands in, in all these years. Um, but I said, I think that would be, I would love to do that. And it, and it, we didn't have any idea as to why we were doing it, like not for a project or anything like that, just to do it, just to, just to be creative, you know? And, uh, and so we did, we wrote long distance, um, LA and Atlanta, we wrote, and before I knew it, we, we had written eight songs and they were really good. It wasn't just two guitar players, um, you know, making, making, uh, in- nerdy instrumental music. They were, they were good songs. And, uh, I looked at four of them specifically and said, I'd like to take these, um, for Blackberry Smoke, if that's okay with you. He said, absolutely. And so that's, that's, uh, that's how it panned out. That guitar lick that's just such a great guitar lick and run away from it all, is that did you come up with that or him? That's him. Because that to me just reeks of like a, a Buck Cherry sort of power ballad and it's I thought you were gonna say that because it's def, definitely that sort of Keith sort of riff. It's a great riff, but the song itself is so good and I know you play that one live and you guys you had him out playing I saw you guys on TV. He was playing with you, right? He played that song on um uh, Carson Daly, um, right? It, it, we we had a show at the Fonda in L.A. and he came out and that was the first time he had been on stage and and God knows how long. So, um, but but uh, I asked him. I don't th- I don't know that he wanted to, but I, I sort of made him do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was very very cool. And somebody, one of my listeners, when I told them I was going to have you on sent me some clip and asked me to ask you about something with Blackberry Smoke with Aldo Nova? Oh, God, yes. Um, the, I, I was just reminded of that about a month ago, um, and I had honestly forgotten, and that was in, in the wilder days of our band, and I don't remember a whole lot of it, so forgive I me. Guess it's I, on you, I guess it's on YouTube now, which is why it came up, because they sent me a link to something on YouTube, but did you guys do a song with him or something, or what was it? We did. We went to. We were in. We were making a record in Nashville. Um, this was in the mid uh, first decade of the two thousands, maybe two thousand four or five or six, somewhere in there. And uh, we went into this writing retreat type situation, which was very odd. And it was somebody else's idea, and I was against it from the beginning. <laughs> but we, I was fascinated with Aldo Nova. I, he walked into the room, and and uh, I didn't even know who he was until someone told me, but. I knew, then I knew who he was, you know. I, I mean, I didn't recognize him, but um, but he came over and uh, and hung out, and before you know it, a couple of acoustic guitars wound up in in mine in his hands, and and 
I, I don't know that it was planned, but all of a sudden we're writing a song. And um, it was pretty cool. I, I haven't heard it. I hadn't heard it in, in since until just the other day. And somebody told me that it was on YouTube and strange little guy. It was a, it was a, it, it turned, I, I wasn't sure how that, that it, uh, it would turn out, you know, and it, it turned out to be really cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, somebody posted the song and I just heard it and it did sound cool. I met him for the first time. I had him on this show about a year ago. He was attempting, he re-recorded songs from his first record. He was attempting at that point, he said he was going to try to make a comeback into being active in rock again. And that was the last I heard from him. <laughs> I think he disappeared back into Canada again, but yeah. you know, as a writer, he did stuff, stuff for like Celine Dion and certainly had some success in that area. But I think he was trying to come back and grab the, the rock scene a little bit again. I don't think it was quite where he thought it w- would be. You know, he told me that day, um, uh, I was still smoking cigarettes, which I love dearly and miss, uh, very dearly. <laughs> and, uh, he he was chain smoking and it was and I couldn't believe it I I, I couldn't believe uh, with the uh, I couldn't believe the amount of nicotine he was consuming it was <laughs> I couldn't keep up and so I mentioned it I was like oh my god are you smoking another cigarette and he said yeah and I said Jesus Christ that that makes me sick to watch you do that and I smoke a lot and uh, he said yeah well I just started smoking a year ago and I said how old are you and at that point I think he's told me he was fifty five years old. And I thought, who the hell starts smoking at 55 years old? You start when you're 15. Everybody knows that. <laughs> you stopped, Charlie? I did. I, I, I quit about five years ago. Good for you, man. Good for you. You still miss it, though? I do. And I, I, one of our bus drivers, I used to go up and, and smoke first thing that I would wake up, you know, in the morning. And, and, uh, and he would go, oh, God. And I would say, I'm sorry. You know, he goes, no, I love it. I, I, and he hadn't smoked in 30 years. And I, I said, so you're telling me that that never goes away, that that love of the cigarette? And he said, nope, never goes away. Man, I thankfully never started that habit. I hate being around it. I've never heard of anybody, though, enjoying secondhand smoke off a cigarette. That's pretty yeah, he, funny. Yeah, he was the first. But, you know, I have to be honest. When I walk past people smoking, I do the same thing. Oh, God. I once read an interview with Ozzy and he said of all the drugs he polluted his body with and all the things he had to stop doing, the thing that was most difficult for him to stop doing was cigarettes. So I guess it is that addictive. Yeah, I can for 12 years. Everything else was pretty easy, but not not the nicotine. Hey, uh, real quick, so you've got some stuff coming up. Let's tell everybody what's going on with the band. Uh, Blackberry Smoke is performing. I see on your website, uh, Big Apple Breakdown. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's at Brooklyn Bowl in September. I, I uh, can't remember the exact dates right now. September um, 6th and 7th. I got it right in front of me. You are a better man than I, sir. But that that's uh, that should be uh, a really good time. We, we've started to develop or try to develop some annuities. You know, some things that we do every year. We just did one in Tennessee, uh, close to Knoxville. That's a, a really good thing every year. And uh, also, we're, we're, we're leaving for Europe on Monday, and we're playing a show with Bon Jovi in Stockholm. Who would have thought? Wow. And then we have the download and a bunch of festivals there in Europe, and then we'll come back in July, and we'll be out with uh, Derek Trucks and Susan Tedeschi for the rest of the summer. And then at some point, we will release uh, a live album and DVD uh, from our 
annual show in Atlanta at the Tabernacle. Uh, that and right there, I mean, you're going out with you know Derek Truck, Susan Tedeschi, Bon Jovi. You know, you've toured with Skinnerd before. I mean, it's just it's amazing. You guys can pretty much roll with anybody. That is incredibly cool. And for people, of course, listening to this show live on the 29th of May, we can tell everybody tomorrow you're in Effingham, Illinois, at the Effingham Performance Center, and on the 30th, Las Sig. I don't know how you say that, Las Signe, Kansas. Wildwood Outdoor Education Center. Two nights there, 30th and 31st. Yeah, I think they, and I just say this because I heard someone say it today, Lacine. Lacine, Kansas. Okay. Two nights, May 30 and 31 for Blackberry Smoke. And then, as you mentioned, in Sweden with Bon Jovi at the uh, Tele2 Arena. Man, that's going to be, that should be quite a quite a great show as well man well look i'm so happy for the success and you know as i said to you the other day watching you and and watching uh blackstone cherry and watching jackal and watching ace freely when you see those great bands that get up there and there's no computers on the stage <laughs> it's just right. guitars plugged into amplifiers with real singing and real playing and that is what rock and roll is all about and i celebrate and applaud Bands like you and all the others that are still bringing it that way, man. It was great to see you. Thank you very much, Eddie. It was great to see you. Great to talk to you. Anytime, man. Keep us posted on everything going on and safe travels out there. And I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay. Thanks, man. Great dude. Great story. My thanks to Charlie Starr for taking some time out to join me on my radio show, which now you just heard on the Eddie Trunk podcast. It's really amazing there are so many emer- great emerging bands in rock music right now. If you follow me on Twitter, I tweet about them. If you listen to the radio show, I featured some of them on the show and still continue to do so. And then there are those bands that have been slugging it out for about 10 years that are really seeing the fruits of that hard work pay off and really building tremendous followings, doing it themselves like Blackberry Smoke and Charlie Star. My thanks to him for joining me on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Don't forget, connect with me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. Got a lot of appearances coming up. Next is a speaking engagement, July 19th at the Stanhope House in Stanhope, New Jersey. Come on out for some rock talk and some Q&A and some fun. And uh, be sure to check it out. All of the stuff is on the homepage of eddytrunk.com with links to buy tickets. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of this podcast. I'll see you every day on Sirius XM 106 volume. If you're in the U.S. and Canada, join me live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on volume. Like I said, it replays every night as well, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern or on demand on the Sirius XM app. And I will see you next Thursday for what is a 4th of July edition. We'll have a new show, even though it's a holiday, of the podcast. So don't forget to listen and download and stream every Thursday for new episodes, Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Have a great week. Hope to catch you on the radio. Don't forget Trunk Fest, July 7th, Access TV, the season premiere, every Sunday night at 9.30 Eastern. The radio show, the appearances, and of course, back here next week for a new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Have a good week.
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.